Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've probably heard lots of sermons on worship. We make no apology for coming back to this topic. I think there's two reasons, one of which will come out from the scriptures I read, that there are things we need to remind ourselves of frequently. Sometimes it's because uh, we, it's easy for us to let things drift. And if we're not careful, we forget some of the basic truths. Also, there's the element that there's some things which we know, but they're difficult to apply completely. And therefore we need to keep coming back to them so we can apply them again and again. So our series is on worship. The topic I'm speaking on today is who or what do we worship? And what I'm going to do is start at the end of the Bible, in the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, and then work my way back towards the books of the law at the front of the Bible. So I'm going to start by reading from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 9. If you don't get all the references, we'll send them out by email afterwards. So Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will be no need of light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. In this, at the beginning, the angel is showing John what the something of what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. And if you read the whole chapter, it can get a bit confusing as to who's talking at any one time. There's at least three people involved. There's this angel, there's John and there's Jesus. And we need to remember that in the original Greek of this, there'll be no punctuation and there would be no gaps between the words either. So any punctuation marks such as inverted commas to show who's speaking have been put in since by the editors to try and make it easier for us to understand. And if John was reading the headings you've got in the Bible, if it's anything like mine, from verse 6 it says Jesus is coming. Now, whether verse 7 is Jesus speaking or the angel, 
I don't know. Certainly by verse 12, I think it's Jesus speaking. But John, I have a lot of sympathy for because he's in this situation. He's seeing marvelous things. And the natural response is to worship. And even John, an apostle of Jesus, in this case, worships an angel rather than God. So if John can do that, that's a warning to us that it's very easy for us to let our thoughts slip and to worship things or people who we shouldn't. But as we're reminded here, we should worship God alone and not his creation nor his servants. But it's easy to get distracted by power. So. What did Jesus say on worship? Firstly, I'm going to go back to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 15 and look at verses 7 and 9. So Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 and 9. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and scribes who've come down uh, from Jerusalem to try and catch him out. And he says this at verse 7. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So one point Jesus is making here is that worship needs to come from a right heart. Worship ultimately is something which comes from our heart, in response to God, it's not some particular performance we go through. So we don't need any specific uh, triggers to help us worship. Obviously, some things do help us, and for different people, it might be different things. But that's not the essential point. The essential point is that if it's not from the heart, it's not worship. And also from John's Gospel, in chapter 4, we find again Jesus speaking on worship. So this is from John chapter 4, verses 21 to 26. Here, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman who he's met at a well while traveling through Samaria. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So here, Jesus is telling us that true worship is in spirit and in truth. So 
we need to be both aware of our dependence on the Holy Spirit to be able to worship. It's not something which necessarily comes naturally to us. It's also something where we need to bring the truth to bear, the truth which we know from studying scripture. So when we come to worship, we need to make sure that our worship is looking at God's truth rather than looking at what our desires primarily are. Also, we can learn from what Jesus said when he was tempted to false worship. And we can find this in, well, one of the places we can find it is in Matthew and chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted after the 40 days in the wilderness. So from Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, we have these words, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So for us, that is the ultimate definition of whom we should worship. And of course, here, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy and chapter six. So I'm going to turn there next, right towards the front of the Bible. If I can actually find it. So the fifth book, Deuteronomy and chapter six. The thing to remember, of course, is in Deuteronomy chapter five, we have one of the accounts in scripture of the Ten Commandments. This is when the people of Israel were reminded of the Ten Commandments before they went into the land. And chapter six is, if you like, a commentary passing on from that. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter six and verse 13. So I'm going to, to get it in a bit of its context. I'm going to read from chapter six and verse 10 to verse 14. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. So, the warning to the people of Israel at this point was, lest you forget. When your life becomes comfortable, 
don't let don't forget the Lord your God. They remembered the Lord when they were in slavery. They remembered the Lord as they were taken through the desert, not without problems, of course. But now they're coming into the land. The warning they're given is do not forget when you get comfortable. And so it's a warning for us as well that we need to be aware that it is possible to get comfortable and to then forget the Lord. It's possible to be aware of what the Lord has done in our lives, but then start to discount it because life is going well for us. And the other warning they're given is not to go after other gods the gods of the people who are around you. The culture there, as in many places in the world now, would be one on which you had a concept of there being local gods. And therefore, if you were going to live in a particular land, you needed to make sure you kept the local gods on your side. So here was a warning not to just adopt the local gods as well. They were to worship God, the Lord their God alone, and not worship the Lord their God plus other things. I'll come back to that topic a bit later. But again, going back slightly in that chapter for the context, in verses four to seven, this is what Moses was told to tell the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now, you might recognize some of those words because Sam was preaching on them last week. You shall love the, no, where he challenged us. Will we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our might? And this is something we need to come back to time and time again, which is why Sam brought the challenge. Because it is easy to drift away. And as you notice, Moses is telling it, it's something we need to talk to one another about. It's something we need to remind ourselves about frequently so that we don't get distracted. So how do we try applying these sorts of things in our lives now? For different people, it's going to be different situations. But about 30 years ago, when I was teaching in London, I had a lab technician who worked with me who was a Hindu. And she said that from when she'd been in primary school and first heard about Jesus, she had always been very attracted to Jesus. And therefore, she, uh, she had always honoured Jesus very highly. 
but at the time I knew her when she was probably in her 20s, to her, Jesus was just another god alongside the various Hindu gods who her family worshipped as well. But she always was very happy talking about Jesus and we used to have conversations, not every week, but fairly frequently about Jesus and about following him. As happened at that time, we seemed to be going through a phase where we had technicians come and work for us for a couple of years and then they'd move on to a better job. And after about two or three years with us, she moved on. But we kept in contact for a while. And about two years after she had left the school, she got sent me a letter a bit before the day of emails and said she'd actually now become a Christian. And now Jesus was her one God. She was following the one God. It's easy to see these sorts of conflicts in other people, in other cultures. It's always a lot harder seeing these sorts of conflicts in our own culture because we're living in it all the time. And therefore, uh, it can be a challenge. And if we do get challenged, I think our immediate uh, response can be to become defensive. So if some of the things I'm going to suggest, your immediate response is to be defensive, I think we need, you need to ask yourself why. Now, it could just be the way you interpret certain words and the way I interpret certain words is different and we put different emphases on them, and there isn't an issue. But it could be if our immediate response is to be defensive, is that actually it's something God's putting a finger on. Now, I know in my own case, when I get challenged, my immediate response is to get defensive, and then maybe two or three days, weeks, months later, years later, possibly, God actually brings it back and actually starts me, helping me work through it. So we need to, I think one of the things we always need to be aware of, if you want to grow in the Christian faith, is to be aware of just becoming immediately defensive to a challenge. But if we do, to recognise maybe God's at work there. So some possible things where we could worship other gods. Looking at things of the flesh. Are we distracted by wealth? Are we distracted by things which I want? The scripture, as I've already pointed out, was very clear that being comfortable and being wealthy is a risk to our faith. And all of us would come within that category. Pretty well everyone in this country would come into that category. You think of the time Jesus was speaking, Obviously, it's very difficult comparing values from one period to another. But even the wealthiest people in his days, income would have been equivalent to maybe two or three thousand pounds a year for us. So we are wealthy. But do we think I need to ensure I've got to have a certain standard of living before I can spend time worshipping or serving God? Do we think? I cannot worship with God because he's not meeting my expectations. 
of health, answered prayer or whatever. One thing I'll be coming back to later in the series is looking at the issue of how do we worship in times of suffering? But do we let circumstances get in the way of worship? We can also ask, do, does the world affect us into things? A bit like what was in, in Deuteronomy about the gods of the nations around you. Do I feel I need to do things that my family expect of me, even if that prevents me worshipping God? Do you feel a pressure that you need to do something because it's for the common good, again, even if that takes the place of worshipping God? For many parts in the world, the main persecution of Christians comes from that reason. And so it's something you need to be aware of. Is it because the government feels that they need to be in complete control? And therefore, if you're a Christian, it, you have a different authority. And therefore, they need to control the church, control what you think for the common good. That would be very, very true, say, for now in China. Or is it... If you take, again, the New Testament time, where Christians were persecuted because they would not make an offering to the emperor as God. And most of the Romans didn't think giving an offering to the emperor as God was anything significant. It was just something you did to show that you were a loyal citizen and couldn't understand why the Christians took exception to it but they took exception to it on the basis that they should worship God and God alone. So is there a need to fit in with your community? We've had a recent example of seeing that uh, in the last few weeks in the United States of America, where you have this idea of Christian nationalism has been expressed. If you want to see anything in detail on that, PJ Smythe earlier this week wrote a very good blog uh, explaining of that as an outsider having moved to the United States. And I'll put a link to that in the chat after the uh, service and we can email that out again. But somebody I saw mention in Twitter, I forgot to bookmark it, so I can't remember who it was. But they made the point that when you get Christian and another word used together, usually the emphasis is on the other word. So for us, which is more important? Is it more important being British, English, or however you identify yourself? Or is it more important being a Christian? It's something which we need ought to be asking ourselves frequently do i think this because i'm a christian or do i think this because i live in this community and finally there's the other thing which can distract us the devil spiritual deception that is probably the rarer one but we equally we need to be careful we need to know our scriptures. 
the way Jesus responded to, if you like, spiritual deception coming from Satan when he was tempted was to quote scripture. So do we know our scriptures? One thing in our growth group we've been looking at and we keep coming back to at the moment is from Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 10. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. So let's pray that our love may abound more and that we might have knowledge and discernment to know what is truth and what isn't. So I think in summary, if we're going to worship God and God alone, there's obviously more, but I think there's three things in particular we need to do. Firstly, we need the desire to worship God. If you're a Christian, I trust that is there. Secondly, we need the will to do it. Not just the desire, but willing to take the actions necessary to worship God. And we need to seek and apply truth. We need to remind ourselves frequently of the truth about worshipping God and God alone. And to be aware that we could get distracted from that. And when distractions come, to lay them aside. Let's pray. Well, we want to thank you that we, you give us your scriptures so that we can be prepared and warned so that we know about the risks which are there as we follow you. So, Lord, we ask if there's anything in our lives which is keeping us from worshipping you and you alone, that, Lord, you draw it to our attention. And not just that, Lord, that we will then take action to put things right so that our worship will be truly of you. Amen.